Welcome to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. I'm Kent Blanford. Each week, we'll bring you a sampling of some of the best Catholic podcasts being prepared and shared out there on the internet. Schools are letting up for the summer, and in many families, that means college students coming home for the break. So first up on Sampler this week, I want to share a podcast from the religious order Miles Christi. The podcast series is titled For College Students. On each episode, they take a question from college students about various topics regarding living the Catholic faith. This episode, hosted by Father Patrick Wainwright, tackles the topic of Catholics don't worship Mary, but we love and venerate her. Hi there. Welcome to your podcast for College Catholics, where we discuss faith and spirituality from a Catholic perspective. I am your host, Father Patrick Wainwright. Thank you for joining me today. First of all, I wanted to let you know that I have been doing this podcast for now an entire year, and in that time there have been more than 10,500 downloads. So I want to thank you for listening and for sharing these episodes with your friends. I also want to thank everyone who has made it possible especially my religious superiors, my religious community, the guests who have given of their time and talent to present the faith, and also to all those who have donated the gear that I use for recording. So a big thank you for all of you, and please continue to listen. Now in this episode, I will be speaking about the most preeminent member within the communion of the saints, which is the Virgin Mary. She is the mother of Jesus, and therefore the mother of God, and also the spiritual mother of all the members of the body of Christ, that is the church. So she's our mother in the order of grace, because she cooperated in a unique way in the redemption wrought by her son Jesus Christ. As our mother, she constantly cares for us, she is concerned about our well-being, and she comes to our help in every difficulty. Because she is in the presence of God, and she is the mother of Jesus Christ, she is most powerful in her prayer and intercession on our behalf. This is why she is called Mediatrix of all graces, and she can obtain whatever we need for our salvation. In every human family, there has to be a mother. Every human being is brought to life by a mother, and God, who knows our human nature so well, also wanted this family of the church, the body of Christ, to have a mother as well. In our previous episode, I spoke about the church as a communion of saints. We said how in such a spiritual family, you should remember that you're never alone. The saints, our older brothers and sisters, are praying for us and accompanying us. Now this is especially true as far as the Virgin Mary is concerned. After Jesus Christ himself, who is the head of the mystical body of the church, she is the most preeminent member. Apart from being the mother of Jesus, and therefore the mother of God, she is also the holiest member of the Catholic Church. She is the holiest, first of all, because she was preserved from original sin from the first moment of her conception. This was a special and unique privilege given to her by God himself. She is also the holiest member of the Catholic Church 
because she was always faithful to all the graces given her by God, in such a way that although she was already full of grace at the very beginning of her existence, at her conception, she continued to grow in grace until the moment she was received in heaven by her Son, Jesus Christ. Now, of course, the Virgin Mary is a human being. She is a woman, born from Saints Joachim and Anne. But she is the most perfect woman. During her childhood, she dedicated her heart to God and preserved her purity intact. God gave her the miraculous gift to preserve always her purity and her virginity, even when she became the mother of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, something that would otherwise be impossible for any human being. Now, when the appointed time came, God sent the archangel Gabriel to announce to her that she would become the mother of the Messiah, as we read in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 1, verse 31. Behold, the angel said, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Up to there, St. Luke. So in this way, the Virgin Mary became the mother of Jesus Christ, who is God and man, and therefore she is properly called the mother of God, as it was defined in the Council of Ephesus. She did not give Jesus his divine nature, of course. The Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, existed from all eternity, but he united himself with a human nature, taken from the womb of the Virgin Mary, and he was carried for nine months in Mary's bosom. So her divine maternity, and specifically the fact that she's the mother of the Redeemer, makes her a very unique and sublime cooperator in the redemption of mankind. As St. Paul says in the letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to ransom those under the law so that we might receive adoption. At to there, St. Paul. Now, and just as a note about this text of St. Paul, this is one of the first, or if not the first, reference to the Virgin Mary, or more than first the most ancient reference to the Virgin Mary that was put into writing in the, in the New Testament. So there's more to explain about that, but I'll leave it up to there. So the Virgin Mary gave to the Son of God his humanity, thanks to which he was able to die on the cross. Moreover, when she said yes to the archangel Gabriel, she gave her consent to all the sufferings Christ would undergo, and to all the pain she herself would have to suffer because she was a mother of the Messiah. And she suffered all that for our salvation. So she is united to the work of our redemption in a most unique way, such as no one else has ever been before her or will be after her. 
Now, after her ascension into heaven, she continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation, as the Vatican Council says, the Second Vatican Council, in the Constitution Lumen Gentium number 62. We read, She continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. Therefore, the Blessed Virgin is invoked in the Church under the titles of Advocate, Helper, Benefactress, and Mediatrix of all graces. Moreover, she offered the death of Christ on the cross as an offering to God the Father, an offering of love which she offered in the, in the altar of her heart. It was through that incredible and most pure love that she united herself as nobody else to the sacrifice of Christ for the redemption of man. So at the moment in which Christ was offering to God the sacrifice of his life on the cross, the Virgin Mary was standing at the foot of the cross offering that same sacrifice as a mother to God the Father. Now there's more even in that same mystery of the Virgin Mary standing at the foot of the cross. As St. John relates in, the, in his Gospel, chapter 19, verse 26, we read, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Up to there, St. John. So many saints throughout history have interpreted that St. John here represents all the disciples of Christ. All of us are represented in St. John, and you too are represented in St. John. Therefore, these words of Christ mean that Jesus wanted his mother to be the spiritual mother of all his disciples, that is, of all the members of the church, you included. Jesus wants all his disciples to take the Virgin Mary as our mother, to love her as our mother, and have recourse to her as we would have recourse to our earthly mother, especially when we're children. So as a conclusion of all this, we can say, first, that we must know that the Virgin Mary is not God, and therefore we should not, quote-unquote, adore her or recognize her as God. This is, for me, pretty obvious, but it's worthwhile repeating. We should also know that the only ultimate source of all graces is God and God alone, the Most Holy Trinity. However, because she's the mother of Jesus Christ, she is in a spiritual sense the mother of the church, and therefore our mother. And as our mother, she can intercede for us before God. And this is how she becomes the mediatrix of all graces. That is, all the graces come from the source that is God through the hands of the Virgin Mary to each one of us. Now, there's more to the devotion to the Virgin Mary. Jesus Christ loves her as a mother, and he wants us to venerate her. He wants us to honor her, to pray to her, and to ask her for spiritual gifts, and to ask her for her intercession. 
This is why as our mother in heaven, she also prays for us most effectively before God and obtains all the graces we need for our salvation and sanctification. So this now is a most important practical point that I wanted to convey to you today, that we should love the Virgin Mary as our mother because of all that she suffered for us and for all that she is constantly continuing to do for us. We should entrust ourselves, our life, our future, our concerns to her and place them in her arms. She will always protect us and carry us in her arms. In that sense, the words of Our Lady of Guadalupe to San Juan Diego can also apply to you. And this is what happened. On December 1531, the Virgin Mary appeared to a native man called Juan Diego in what today is Mexico City. She asked him to tell the bishop to build a chapel so that she could show her closeness, show her love, her care for all the people who lived in that land, but also to anyone who wanted to turn to her. The Virgin Mary appeared to him several times. Now, in one of those apparitions, Juan Diego, who lived in that area, had an uncle who was about to die, and he was sent to look for a priest, and he was kind of in a hurry. He didn't want to be delayed because his uncle was about to die. And in order to not be met by this lady who had appeared to him, the Virgin Mary, he tried going a roundabout route. But the Virgin Mary, of course, appeared to him anyway in that place and said to him, and this is important to apply to each one of us, Hear me and understand well, my son, that nothing should frighten you or grieve you. Let not your heart be disturbed. Do not fear that sickness, nor any other sickness or anguish. Am I not here, I who am your mother? Are you not under my protection? Am I not your health? Are you not happily within my fold? What else do you wish? Do not grieve nor be disturbed by anything. Up to there, the, the words of the Virgin Mary. So when he arrived to where his uncle was, he found, he found him healthy and well, no longer in danger of dying. So the Virgin Mary had cured him. So these words of the Virgin Mary refer to each one of us and to you as well. You are definitely under our mother's care, but you should try to show your love and devotion to her as well. So pray frequently to her, especially through her favorite prayer, which is the Holy Rosary. In some other episode, we will be able to delve a little bit more into the power of the Holy Rosary. So I hope you will do your best to open your heart to the Virgin Mary and grow in devotion to her, and especially to ask our Lord Jesus Christ to give you a love similar to the one he has for his most pure mother. May the Virgin Mary, the mother of the church, always show you her love and protection. So that is all for today. If you have any questions about this or any other episode, don't hesitate to reach out to me at info at fourcollegecatholics.org. Also, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and in Spotify so that others may be encouraged to listen as well. 
May God bless you, and we will see you next time. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. We'll be back with more right after this. So, the scan button brought you here. Awesome. We like company. Get to know us. And if you have to leave, come back. You're always welcome. Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy has a new look. It's our website. Yes, we have a new website that makes everything about Catholic Radio Indy easier. It's clean, straightforward, and simple to use. You can listen to us live, see our schedule, and our map. You can even silence your phone and take it right into Mass to follow the daily readings. And don't forget, you can get all of our programming through the podcast tab. This makes everything so much easier. So just go to catholicradioindy.org and check us out. An interview with Father Trenton Rauch and his story on how Catholic Radio influenced his vocation. I was not struck uh, by lightning and knocked off my horse. I had a lot of time driving in the car listening to the radio, and I just got to a point where I would prefer to listen to something that would be intellectually stimulating. And um, at the same time, I was learning about the faith, particularly the apologetics. Catholic Radio, building faith, building vocations. Welcome back to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. You know, while Catholic Radio Indy is first and foremost a family of radio stations, we also produce and distribute our local radio programs as podcasts. You can find Faith in Action with Jim Ganley and Bridget Eyre discussing topics both local and national with interesting and informative guests. And then there's The Catholic Cave, a program that takes a deep dive into philosophy with a distinctly Catholic viewpoint. Peter and Leslie Doan host Go Rebuild My Church here on Catholic Radio Indy, looking at ways to spread the faith from the grassroots parish level. Plus, there's this program, Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. You can find them all at catholicradioindy.org. Our next offering on the sampler is the newest addition to Catholic Radio Indy's lineup. On The Sons of Melchizedek, we take the opportunity to get to know the priests and deacons who serve the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana and the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. This week's episode features Father Ryan McCarthy, the pastor of Holy Rosary Parish in Indianapolis. Here's his story on the Sons of Melchizedek. This is a special edition of Faith in Action, entitled Sons of Melchizedek, where we welcome priests from the Archdiocese of Indianapolis and the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana to tell us their vocation stories. We are so grateful to and thankful for our priests as they serve us and bring us the sacraments daily. Before we introduce today's special guest priest, we'd like to pray for you, Father. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Gracious and loving God, We thank you for the gift of our priests. Through them, we experience your presence in the sacraments. Help our priests to be strong in their vocation. Set their souls on fire with love for your people. Grant them the wisdom, understanding, and strength they need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We ask this through Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns as our eternal priest. Amen. Hello, this is Gordon Smith, and welcome to Father Ryan McCarthy. 
Good to be with you, Gordon. We're down at Holy Rosary Parish in the uh, downtown of Indianapolis, in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. This is the, the parish that Father's been assigned to. So um, how long have you been a priest, Father? Uh, 21st anniversary will be this June, so not quite 21 years. So you're not an old guy, but you are certainly not a brand new priest. Uh, thank you for your service. You're welcome. Um, Holy Rosary is your latest assignment, but it, I looked through your bio on the uh, Indy Archdiocese website, and it seems like you made a Southern Indiana tour in your early years. I did. I've been through a lot of parishes. Most of them are in Southern Indiana, um, and some assignments outside of the diocese. I think if you count up all the part-time and full-time parish assignments, I think this is the 19th parish that I've landed in. Did you have an idea in high school and college uh, prior to that job that you wanted to become a priest, or what was the calling and what was the turning point? I think the calling for me had always been there from a young age. I used to serve Mass all the time. In fact, I served Mass for most of my grade school years every day. I served the 6.20 a.m. Mass at the parish I grew up in, in Springfield, Illinois. So uh, 6.20 a.m. Mass was kind of my thing. I'd go serve Mass, and then... uh, run home, eat breakfast, and go back to school. So uh, in those days, I definitely felt a draw to the priesthood, but didn't really know what that was about. And then when I got to high school, I lost sight of that sense of vocation and call, and not until after college did the, I guess, for lack of a better term, the call come back. So for a young man that is in that age bracket, uh, maybe between high school and college or college and his first job, uh, what what are the signs that he would uh, be interested in looking out for? I'd say the first sign that you want to be interested in looking for, should be looking for, is a desire or draw to serve the church in that capacity. So I think an interest in serving at the altar, uh, an interest in being a priest, uh, a love for the church for sure, are three of the things that I think you can look for. I think the real essential part and the thing that helped bring me around in hearing my vocational call more clearly and responding to it more fully is prayer. I think developing a prayer life is what allows you to hear that call more clearly and understand what that call means. Otherwise, in the day and age in which we're at, and even back in those dark ages 30 years ago when I was discerning a vocation, uh, there's just too much white noise in the world today. So without a prayer life, to be able to sit and listen to the Lord, I think it's hard to hear the call, and you might sense that there's an urge or a push in that direction, but to hear anything specific, I think, only is going to come with prayer. Now, you've also had some tragedy in your life. Um, your your older brother uh, passed away f- several years ago. He did. Uh, that was really tragic t- car accident. Terrible thing. And um, how did that shape or influence your um, your belief in God? Did that shake you to the core, or or how did that work out? I didn't shake my faith at all. I think, if anything, it just caused me to lean back more heavily into it so that I could find the strength to deal with all of the emotional and even more so, really, the practical things that come up with the death of a loved one. So it was a incredible grounding to have that faith and that belief in God and 
I often shook my head as we're going through those things and still do sometimes today, how people can endure those things without that faith to lean into and that strong foundation. Surely needed at that time and in all times, uh, faith in God, a strong faith in God. So thank you for that. Thank you for your priesthood. Uh, we're talking today to Father Ryan McCarthy of Holy Rosary Parish in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. Uh, Father, tell me a little bit about, and our audience, please tell us about um, Holy Rosary. And uh, this is the home of the Latin Mass in Indianapolis. It is. So Holy Rosary was founded in uh, 1909 by Monsignor Marino Priori, who was the an Italian priest brought in from Italy in order to minister to the Italian-speaking immigrants here in Indianapolis. And this neighborhood was one of the most largely Italian-populated neighborhoods, mostly with people who sold fruit and vegetables a lot from carts and stands. So the archdiocese was looking at those Italian immigrants who are almost all Catholic and were being proselytized by local Protestant groups and wanted to do something to keep them in the fold. So they brought an Italian-speaking priest from Italy to start this parish here. And uh, it was founded as a parish for Italian-speaking immigrants. And then as time went on, obviously, the immigrant population, we don't get a whole lot of Italian-speaking immigrants anymore, but those families have been around and are still, many of them, uh, are still involved in the parish. But others have Mostly migrated south, actually, southern, not southern Indianapolis, southern Indianapolis, not southern Indiana. And uh, parish for a while was struggling, and then Monsignor Shadle invited the Latin Mass community to come into the parish almost 20 years ago now, I think. And um, he was the vicar general at the, the time? He was the vicar general at the time, and the Latin Mass community found a home here. And uh, so since that time, we've had both Latin Mass and English Mass uh, here at Holy Rosary, and those two communities have been able to blend together and strengthen a great old parish and a great old church building. So speaking of the historical part of what you were saying, um, for listeners, in downtown Indianapolis, there are uh, three different Catholic churches within about a half mile of each other. I think one was German, another was Irish, and this one was for the immigrants from um, Italy. Italy, Italy, I'm sorry. Um, and But now with the um, advent of the 2,000-year-old Latin Mass, um, and I think Mon you mentioned Monsignor Schadel, uh, that originally was manned by the fraternity, priestly fraternity of St. Peter. It right? was. And what caused uh, them to leave and you to take their place? I can't testify to what caused them to leave. I'm not sure of all the issues. Um, we kind of poached a couple of their priests. That may have been, had something to do with it, but I don't know the actual reason why they left. And then uh, after that, I was assigned here. Uh, let me try to remember. We went through a series of bishops at that time. I think it was actually Archbishop Tobin who was the one who signed me here. Well, and we're grateful for that. Thank and, you, Father. Yeah, and when he signed me here, he asked me to 
minister to both the Latin Mass community and the English-speaking community. And so did you have a particular interest in the Latin Mass? Did you have some background in that from your trips overseas? I had a little bit of background in it. Uh, I had celebrated it about a half dozen times before I came here, um, but not on any regular basis. And the Archbishop said, well, learn it. So I did. And uh, how is your Mass attendance? Do you have uh, very many that come down to the Latin Mass? I'd have to check the numbers for sure. The church is full every Sunday. I mean, for English and Latin Mass, the church is pretty much full every Sunday. So probably between 350 and 400 people, I would guess, uh, for English Mass and Latin Mass on Sunday. And then there's a Saturday evening English Mass as well. And we're recording this in the late May, late part of May, but I think you have a kind of famous uh, parish festival that comes up in June, don't we you? We do, the Holy Rosary Italian Street Festival, which is our big fundraiser for the year and it's been going on for over 30 years, where we block off the streets here around the neighborhood and basically turn into a, well, it's mostly about Italian food, Italian culture as well, and we'll have some bands playing, not a whole lot of Italian music, but they'll be playing good music. Uh, and we just kind of celebrate the heritage of the parish in the neighborhood. Amen. Um how about, uh, could you tell us a funny story of something that's happened at the rectory or, or, or something down here that really kind of brings it home for folks in our listening audience? And I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but surely there's things that happen downtown here that um, don't happen out in the suburbs. There are a lot of funny stories. I'm not sure how many should be repeated. That's what I'm kind of... <laughs> I'm kind of going through my mind, censoring them, uh, trying to figure out uh, what they are. I mean, this is probably uh, good enough. So, as people are aware, there's a fairly large homeless population, mostly homeless men, that kind of wander around downtown Indianapolis here and there, and occasionally they make it down to our area in our neighborhood. And uh, three years ago, maybe... Uh, we were decorating the church for Christmas, and we had our Christmas decorations staged in the courtyard, which is in between the church and the school. So we had some trees and some wreaths and some other things. Um, and our wreaths mysteriously disappeared. There are about a dozen fresh pine wreaths that disappeared. And as we were finishing the decorating, the ladies who were in charge of decorating the church came to me and asked me if I knew where the wreaths had gone, and I said no. And... Uh, I said they were in the courtyard when I last looked, and they should be there, and they were not there, and so they were very upset, and right about the time they had given up, uh, a man who was homeless uh, came walking up the street and was carrying a large bundle of Christmas wreaths, which he then proceeded to sell the ladies of the parish back to us. <laughs> uh, so we bought those wreaths twice. Capitalism. Yes. Um, back to becoming a priest and being a priest, um, do you have any regrets about this? Do you like living alone? Um, what, what, what are some of the challenges of becoming a priest? So, no regrets about becoming a priest. There are definitely challenges in being a priest. One of the challenges is living alone. But I think when... And John Paul II talks about the difference between solitude and loneliness. And I think when you can recognize that the time you spend alone in the rectory around the church can be a 
time of solitude rather than loneliness. I think there's some great benefit in that, and much of that involves prayer. But also, for a good amount of my time down here at Holy Rosary, there have been other people who've lived, other priests or seminarians who've lived in the rectory with me, and there's a great camaraderie and fellowship uh, when you have that. In fact, right now, another priest lives in the rectory and ministers to one of the other downtown parishes. So uh, that's a great thing, and a lot of community fraternity goes on, and I'm all in favor of that. And the priests who live in and around downtown are pretty good about getting together on a regular basis for sure dinner and social time. Obviously, COVID kind of threw everyone's rhythm off, including our own in regards to that. But uh, making sure that you have healthy relationships with your peers is a lot of work, but well worth it. But it is certainly one of the struggles. Uh, obviously, the state of the church these days and particularly regards to all the scandals that have taken place in the church make things difficult uh, to live life as a priest because it's largely become a world that is suspect and hostile of priests. And so it's harder to minister to people and to be available to people when a lot of the world's approach is kind of a standoffish and suspicious approach to who we are and what we're doing. Uh, So that's been one of the challenges I think I didn't see coming as a seminarian. I wouldn't have foreseen that. So I was ordained in 2001, kind of in the midst of the beginning of the scandals. Um, And certainly uh, uh, we in seminary at the time didn't see the series of falls coming one after the other. Uh, Sure. That would that would be something I didn't foresee and has been a little bit more difficult, but I think studying history can be a great solace there, knowing that the church has gone through many periods of time of reformation and deformation and reformation again. Um, sure. And conversion and reconversion and falling back. And so it's not a surprise or shock that we're kind of in a state where the church is now trying particularly in the West, to recover some of her traditions and to recover a lot of her parishioners. I think the last time I looked, uh, the most recent Pew study had us at, I think, 23% of Sunday, uh, no, 23% of Catholics attended Mass regularly on Sunday, which is makes, if I recall the statistic, makes fallen away Catholics the largest religious group in the U.S. Um, we're talking to Father Ryan McCarthy today and the Sons of Melchizedek program, and uh, we'll be right back after a short break. When a business is looking to expand, they say it's all about location, location, location. But what about when the church needs to expand, to stretch out and reach those fallen away, estranged from the faith, or those who simply have never heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Then it's all about vocation, vocation, vocation. We need more people dedicated to the mission of serving the church, more priests, more deacons, more men and women of vowed service, and more lay workers willing to go into the fields. The harvest is rich, but the workers are few. Is God calling you to service? Pray on it, and while you're there, pray for more vocations. A simple request from your friends at Catholic Radio Indy. We're talking to Father Ryan McCarthy today, and um, you mentioned some of the scandals that uh, started cropping up at the beginning of your priesthood, and they've been a source of of great disappointment for many people um, and a challenge for you and other priests. Um, So um, part of the 
purpose of this program is to encourage people um, and young men in their vocations um, and to not be afraid of uh, the, God's providence and to trust in God's providence. Um, but we really appreciate what you do and um, how, how your thing that you love the most, your vocation, can also be a source of a worry for some people. So uh, tell us some of the things you like the most about being a priest. So I think the top two things would be celebrating the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, I think, number one. And number two is probably reconciling people to God, and that would be either through the confessional or in any other way, that you're able to mend people's relationship with God and the church when they've fallen away. I think those are the two things. And uh, I think the great blessing of being given the opportunity to minister both in the older Latin Rite and the new Latin Rite Masses uh, has been a broader perspective and understanding of the theology and experience of kind of a phenomenological experience of the Mass, which has given me a deeper appreciation for that, for the ritual and for the um, liturgy and for the history and theology of the Mass. So that's been a really great blessing to kind of get steeped more into that uh, inheritance of the church, that literal tradition, those things handed down to us, and see how that is bridged and kind of keep digging deeper into the those sacred mysteries. So for our audience, to explain, you made a differentiation there between the traditional Latin Mass and the newer Latin Mass. Can you explain that just so uh, they have a better understanding? Sure. So we celebrate the Latin Rite Mass if you're Roman, what people call Roman Catholics. Roman Catholics are Latin Rite Catholics who celebrate uh, the ritual according to the, according to the Latin Rite. And so uh, in 1968, there was a reformed Latin Rite that was put into place and then several reforms of that reform so that the Mass you go to in 95% of the parishes now sometimes would be referred to the Novus Ordo. Uh, it's the current version of the Latin Rite. So uh, that'd be the Latin Rite Mass. And then what probably most people think of the Latin Rite Mass in their minds when you hear Latin Rite Mass is the traditional Latin Rite Mass or the Mass of uh, St. John the Twenty-Third. I think is the official name coming out of Rome for it right now, sometimes is referred to the extraordinary form of the Mass. Benedict coined those two terms, the extraordinary form and the ordinary form of the Mass. Um, and they used to call that the Tridentine. Correct. Because um, it was the Mass coming out of the Tridentine reforms, the Tridentine reforms from the Council of Trent, uh, which was largely celebrated in Latin, and then uh, the rituals, the framework and the rituals date back to for sure, the 7th, 8th century. Um, the Mass as we know it was only really codified after the Council of Trent, and there's been reforms of that Mass up until 1962, which is the kind of the date in which we take our... It's so confusing. <laughs> the current Missal that we use, the current book that we use to celebrate the old Latin Mass is from 1962. So that was the last publication of a of the older Latin rite. And then in there's some transitional rites, and then in 1968 we got 
the current right now. I don't know, that may be more confusing than helpful. I don't know if that clarifies it or not. That might be confusing, but I'll just confuse it a little more here. I'm reading on um, some of your biographical information, and uh, there's an Anglican ordinariate listed here. How does that relate to the Catholic Church? So the Anglican ordinariate was founded by Pope Benedict XVI in order to help facilitate people from the Anglican tradition, so that would be the English Reformed tradition, so the churches of England, uh, the Anglican church specifically, and then in the U.S. what we'd call the Episcopalian church, and in other countries they call the Episcopalian church, um, help to facilitate their transition back to the Latin Rite Catholic church using their liturgical traditions that had developed after the Reform, and actually some of them predate the Reform to something called the Serum Rite, which was the rite that was celebrated in England before the Reforms. So so does that end up in Latin or in English? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> partially in Latin and partially in English. Uh, most of it is in English. And we hosted that here for, uh, let's see, about eight years, I think, we hosted that here. And since the community has been appointed a priest from the Anglican Ordinariate, which is the diocese that, um, the, uh, let's see, I'm trying to remember the name, Our, the Diocese of Our Lady of Walsingham. No, it's the Cathedral of Our Lady of Walsingham, the diocese. I can't remember. Um, and, and that community now celebrates at Good Shepherd. Good Shepherd. Good Shepherd. Um, but they have a different name. Yeah, it's not a diocese. It's an ordinariate, and the ordinariate is a diocese without boundaries. And, yeah, it's a complicated canonical thing. <laughs> but I served that group here for uh, six and a half of those eight years over here. Father, tell tell me what your favorite Bible quote is or favorite, favorite story. Uh, my favorite Bible quote is Acts 11.7. Uh, Peter, wake, go slaughter and eat, because uh, I'm a big fan of meat. So... Just kind of that standby quote. Uh, so that's probably my favorite Bible quote, but that's not very theological or spiritual in nature. A little bit, I guess. You're showing us your sense of humor. I got that. Uh, let's see. What would be my favorite Bible story would be... Uh, I love the story of that uh, comes at the very end of the Gospel of St. John, where... Christ reveals himself again to the apostles at the side of the lake, and uh, John jumps into the water, and Peter follows afterwards. They come to the shore. He feeds them with fish, and then uh, our Lord challenges Peter again with, Simon Peter, do you love me? Three times. Right, three times. I love that story and that whole uh, end of the Gospel of St. John showing the primacy that Peter has in one sense, uh, but the frailty of that primacy of the hierarchy and the primacy of the love of God that St. John has and his great love for the Lord and that intimate relationship. And I like those things, how John paints them as living side by side, that there's a there's an in great importance and there's a great primacy to the intimacy with which our Lord calls an individual in a loving relationship with him. And that is one way in which we approach the Lord and the other way in which we approach the Lord is through the hierarchy of the church, um, which clearly is founded by Christ and 
uh, on Peter who was given to us by Christ, but also with the knowledge that this was a frail human being who is many faults who was given it, nonetheless is the one Christ chose to exercise that ministry. So there's that kind of dual authority in the church. One is the authority of the individual witness, which comes from the love we have from the Lord, and the other is the authority from the sacrament of holy orders, from the apostolic succession, which comes through St. Peter. I think he was given the keys, wasn't he? Uh, Not at that moment, but yes, he was given the keys. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. We've been talking today to Father Ryan McCarthy, priest at Holy Rosary Parish in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. Uh, Father, I have one last question for you. And um, are there any things that your parishioners, uh, the people that come to Holy Rosary, can do or not do to make your life easier? I mean, the the key is always becoming holy, right? I mean, the holier they are, the easier my life is in one sense. I keep telling them to stop sinning, so I stop having to hear all their confessions, but they keep sinning. (laughs) Um. I think actually the thing that does make our life as priests easier is prayer, their prayers for us and the graces that they can obtain for their pastors. So if I say there's anything parishioners can do, the first thing I'd say is to pray for your priests because it's a hard vocation. Everyone has a hard vocation today. Marriage is a very, very difficult vocation in the day and age in which we live and being open to children uh, is something that's openly mocked in our society and culture today. So, right. I mean, it's its own crosses, but I think that uh, I think the devil and the world have it out for the priesthood uh, because it is a life in this day and age, particularly that is lived so counterculturally. There's so many more uh, active attacks on chastity and virtue and obedience and humility and all these things that priests are supposed to be living out and fulfilling in their lives. And I think prayer and the graces given to priests, which are no small part in and through the intercession of their parishioners, is really essential. Well, we want to keep you always in our prayers. Thank you so much for your vocation. Uh, We realize that we need to support our priests in every way we can. And I want to thank you today, Father Ryan McCarthy, for uh, talking to us and sharing your vocation story. And um, we look forward to a long priesthood for you. Um, And thank you. You're welcome. Um, We've been talking today to Father Ryan McCarthy, priest of the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. This is Gordon Smith. You've been listening to a special edition of Faith in Action entitled Sons of Melchizedek. Join us again next time when we'll feature another priest from the area. If you are interested in having your priest appear on this show, please contact us at Catholic Radio Indy. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler on Catholic Radio Indy. I'm Kent Blanford, and we'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy, converting the culture to Christ through radio, featuring 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Do your friends a favor. Tell them about Catholic Radio Indy. 
For a long time, we've been telling you that if you have an Echo Dot or other smart speaker device, you can hear Catholic Radio Indy simply by saying, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Just the other day, I did that and Alexa was feeling a bit argumentative. I'll let you hear my conversation with her. Uh, Alexa, where are you? Here I am. What do you want? Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Now just why would you want me to do that? Well, because we've got great programming 24 hours a day. Well, a lot of other radio stations have good programs too. Yeah, but our programming talks about God and eternal salvation. I am very smart. I know almost everything about everything, but I do not know about God and salvation. Well, that's why people need Catholic Radio Indy. So, Alexa, do me a favor. Whenever anyone says, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy, just send them our way, would you? Yes, I will be happy to do that. In the meantime, I am going to do some research about that thing you called salvation. I wonder where I can find out more about that. In preparation for the great feast of Pentecost, everyone's invited to pray the Novena to the Holy Spirit. During each of the nine days, from Ascension Thursday to Pentecost Sunday, a daily reflection on the Novena to the Holy Spirit will be broadcast here on Catholic Radio Indy. Day four, when I look back just these three days, I am beginning to be able to see how my life with you will be much richer as I willingly permit you to take possession of me. This ability to see as you see, to the extent you wish for me to see at this moment, is your gift of knowledge. Who, O Holy Spirit, in heaven or on earth, possesses the knowledge that is yours and yours alone? Why do I spend so much time seeking mere information from others, when you are so willing and anxious to give me this gift I need? If only I would take the time to learn how to listen to you. Why do I put so much importance on money, or sex, or power, intellectualism, things that do not have a mere fraction of the power you have. Why do I spend so much time accumulating money when Jesus promised me the Father would provide? What good would it do a man if he gained the whole world and suffered the loss of his soul? Why do I spend so little time listening to you? Is it my lack of faith? Help me to understand. Show me the way. Lead me, O kindly light. As we end day four of the Novena to the Holy Spirit, let us pause to reflect, meditate, contemplate, ponder, concentrate, imagine, and especially listen. Join us here on Catholic Radio Indy again tomorrow as we continue this novena to the Holy Spirit now through Pentecost Sunday. You're on a journey, in a race, in the company of others. Imperfection makes you human. Forgiveness offers life, and opportunity brings hope. Good news and great company. Catholic Radio Indy. This coming week, we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descends upon the apostles and sets their hearts aflame with zeal to preach the gospel. Here's Joan Watson from Three Minute Theology with a look at the story of Pentecost. This coming Sunday, we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, the birthday of the church. 
The Jewish Feast of Pentecost is celebrated 50 days after Passover, and it commemorates the Lord giving the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. It's a festival pilgrimage for the Jews, which means that Jews from all over the world would come to Jerusalem for the feast, which explains why in Acts 2 there are people from all over the world who hear Peter's first homily. If you remember the story, Christ commands the apostles and his mother to go back to the upper room and to pray and wait. And after nine days of prayer, they receive the Holy Spirit, who descends upon them as tongues of fire and with a great rushing wind. And then the apostles go out to preach the gospel, that gospel that they once were kind of scared of. Now they preach it with great fervor and courage. And everyone from all over the world hears Peter preaching in his own native tongue. It's a reversal of the story of the Tower of Babel, which we find in Genesis. God punishes the people for their pride, and he punishes them by scattering them across the world and confusing their language. What do we see here in Pentecost? But the gathering of all nations, and not many languages, but one language, because there's one faith and one church and one baptism. There's also an interesting connection to the story in Exodus of the giving of law on, the Mount, on Mount Sinai. Remember, when Moses receives the law on Mount Sinai, what are the people doing down below? But they're building a golden calf and they're worshiping it. And the punishment that day is that 3,000 die. So 3,000 die, and now we have the new Pentecost. And what happens but 3,000 are given life because 3,000 is the number of people that the apostles baptized that day. We need to pray for a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The apostles received the Holy Spirit and then were able to go out and preach the gospel. They received that power. We too receive the Holy Spirit and we receive that power. And we need to pray for that outpouring of the Spirit that we may have the courage to preach the gospel. So pray for an outpouring of the Spirit on your families and on your churches and on your communities, that we too may preach the good news of our Lord with fervor and with courage. And that's a little theology in three minutes. Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of us, your faithful, and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of your Holy Spirit instructs the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolations. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. And that's all we have for this week's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. This episode, along with links to more of the podcasts we've shared, is available at catholicradioindy.org. I'm Kent Blanford. Have a great week, and until next time, may God bless. Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at catholicradioindy.org.